This month, Brick Moon Fiction is going pure fantasy. We'll be bringing you four stories all set in the world of familiars, the creatures that act as sidekicks to the more popular inhabitants of the world of the fantastic, typically wizards and witches. Brick Moon Fiction presents The Storm Starts Over by Rudolfo Serna Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle Waves were rising, washing over the boardwalk, the foghorns blowing like a chorus of mechanical old men in the rain, as the black storm clouds would never let up and the green waves would continue to knock at the boards of the rotting wharf. The green waves of cold sea splashing up against the pier as the cargo ships rocked violently, tethered to the docks. The Cheshire watched the detectives from the rafters, silently like it always had, imperceptible by normal human means, and only the scientist had known that the creature would be waiting for him, watching. A little larger than an adult's human head, three eyes and two snapping jaws with minute teeth, and eight tentacles that resembled the tails of large orange cats with black stripes. It was impossible for the Cheshire to talk, and the only sounds that came out of it were tweets and whistles, sounding like exotic parakeets. The amalgamated creature was sure that it had been bathed in the sea waters of the Leviathan before being flushed out from the amniotic sac in which it had grown. The creature could smell the storm outside, feeling the electrical charge in the air, the change of temperature. It could hear the ripping of tin paneling and the breaking of tree limbs. It will end tonight, the creature thought, as it could not speak. The Cheshire had never been outside the walls of the warehouse or touched the wet planks of the dock. It was protected from those that roamed the streets, those who were homeless, drifting along the edges of the shanties and the boarded-up buildings of the wharf. Earlier that night, through the glow of the streetlights in front of the warehouse, the Cheshire had heard the scientist's voice. The creature reached out with its tentacles and climbed the steam pipe to the rafters, where the clear stories lined the top of the building. In the mist, the scientist stood with his back against the ocean, facing a silver-haired woman in the dark. The Cheshire was struggling to hear, and even with its animal senses, it could not penetrate the rattling of the rain falling on the tin roof of the warehouse or the wind howling over the waterfront. The waves that pounded the dock hid what was happening out front, with seawater lapping onto the boardwalk beneath a solitary street lamp, and even with its enhanced sight, the figures were lost to its field of sight somewhere in the maelstrom, unable to penetrate the dark, frothing sea. A walking brain from the phantom zone, designed in the derainment of the scientist's mind, grown in the machines that pumped the biomatter, keeping the embryo warm, as it had been grown in an amniosac. It heard the pop of the gun and saw the flash from a barrel through the haze and wavering streetlight, the gunshot echoing in the metal and brick alleys of the waterfront being quickly drowned out by the waves that continued pounding. Whatever powers the Cheshire possessed could not reach out to its dead father that lay on the dock. The silver-haired woman bent down to check the man's final breath, his body being rolled into the dark. The Cheshire would have screamed, but it could not. Its mouth was unable to form words, but instead, as if a bird in its cage being tormented, flying frantically to be let out, trying to escape the warehouse, making torturous sounds. The red and blue beams of the emergency lights glared through the glass of the clear story. It's getting bad out there. The National Guard already closed the roads. What the hell are we doing here? The partner of the silver-haired detective said as the warehouse rattled with the cyclonic winds. You know why, 
she said. Yeah, well, let's find what we need and get out of here. Rubber-gloved hands thumbed through the papers of indecipherable code scribbled in the scientists' notebooks on a bookshelf, the detectives' trench coats wet from outside dripping on the concrete floor. The silver-haired detectives' tired eyes looked over to a wall of plastic in the center of the warehouse. The illuminants had been strung up with cables from the rafters over a circle of clear drapes. Over there, she said. The detectives walked towards the plastic partition. She felt the drafts slipping through the brick walls. The metal roof was being pulled by the vortex forming just offshore. I just need a sample for evidence, the silver-haired detective said. We really shouldn't be here. The other detective, who wore a cap, could hear the bits of the wharf being ripped apart. The detective pulled the edges of the curtains back and stepped through. Two stainless steel tables had been lined perpendicular. Lab equipment was stored away in large white freestanding cabinets, and the stainless steel tables gleamed from the hanging overhead lights. A clean room, the silver-haired detective said. Spotless. What was his occupation? It just says self-employed. The detectives could hear the hum of the machines, ticking like a stuck cartridge running its tape over and over, trying to find its track again, coming up from the square machines that took up one side of the clean room. Lights could be seen blinking from beneath the thin metal casings that enclosed the electronic tick. You think he made these? the partner said as they bent down to the machines that had looked partially forged in a workshop with used parts. Did you notice the equipment at the other end of the warehouse? Piles of casings cracked open, revealing the cogs, belts, and parts of electronics that had been spliced together with black electrical tape. The metal had been spread out on the floor, as if to be serviced. Yeah, the liquor-still-looking thing, and the grow lights. He had some kind of plants growing, he said. Lots of fabrication tools. The gray-haired detective bent down to look closer at the box-shaped machines. These look pretty raw. No logos or wording, she said. The detectives noticed the violet and green light escaping through the gaps, reflecting on the gray concrete floor. Some kind of bioprinter? The curia calls it immoral manipulation of nature, the silver-haired detective said unemotionally, without looking at her partner. What? Bioprinting, she said. Yeah, yeah, of course. You thinking black market? Most likely. The detective thought she heard something sliding over the concrete floor, quickly moving out of sight beneath the tables. What was that? What? Heard something. The wind? No. Something else. Something moving? A cat? The silver-haired detective continued looking for the source of the movement that she thought she had felt drop to the floor and scramble away under the tables. She bent down, trying to see in the dark as the overhead lights failed to illuminate the spaces between the legs of the tables. Coming back up, she noticed the slip of paper on the edge of the stainless steel table, as if placed on a gleam of the corner to be seen. The silver-haired detective took the paper and looked at the word scrawled on it. The handwriting was unclear and unsteady. It took her a few seconds to understand the writing. The slip of paper had one word on it, murderer. Handwriting looks strange, she said. Strange? Yeah, like a little kid wrote it. Who's the murderer? This doesn't make sense, she said, looking up in the rafters and the wind blowing at the edges of the building. Who's the murderer, she thought. You think this guy was into something more than dealing body parts? Her partner said. Look around this place. What do you think? Pretty much what the prefect thought, right? 
Her partner with the drenched cap scanned the steel and plastic surfaces of the clean room. The silver-haired detective looked at the paper and then at the walk-in cooler that resembled a silver crypt at the other end of the sanitized space corrupted by the detective's entrance, as if defying a sacred temple. Murderer. What do you think is in the cooler, he said. Proof. The detectives went to the cooler, pulled on the chrome handle, expecting to see the body parts created for the black market, to be sold to those that could afford the replacements, organs and limbs reproduced by the forged machines. But as they stepped into the dim light of the cooler, there was nothing. Damn it! The partner looked at her blank face, and the dripping silver hair pasted to the brown, moist forehead. It was a clean kill. The prefect will certify that, he said. The detective searched for a piece of absolute proof. She needed to be certain for herself that the kill was clean, even before showing proof to the Curia Romana. We need to get out of here. The highways are closing repeating his warning from earlier. Already the sea was making its way up to the door of the warehouse. It would not be long before the warehouse became flooded and the forged equipment would be destroyed. It was a clean kill, he said. In some other time before the storm, before the winds rose and sailed from the deep sea to assault the living, to tear the warehouse from the shore, in the cauldron of biomatter the scientist had grown the creature, letting it live, despite the Cheshire's deformity and grotesqueness. Watching the screen, the television shows varied. The Cheshire's favorite cartoons, a collection of faces and limbs, supernatural species in the Phantom Zone. One of the Cheshire's mandibles opened and closed. The other one sipped a dish of distilled human hemoglobin produced by the scientists' machines. The Cheshire would drop down from its perch. Its orange limbs carried its plump abdomen over the cold, hard, gray floor until the tentacle tips felt the old rug that had been laid out next to the bookshelf. There was a tattered armchair with an old blanket thrown over it to keep the stuffing from falling out. The wood bookshelf split open with pages and covers of the books of their ancestors, as the Cheshire read from the pages, scuttling across the floors of silent seas. The pipes steaming, chemicals bubbling in the glass beakers and large surgical steel tanks connected to valves, running lines of light pink fluid through spiraling tubing emptying into another tank that ran with chemicals, breaking the biomass down on an industrial level as the parts ticked on the track of the humming machine. Cheshire, where are you? We were lucky tonight. You should have seen them, lined up in the alley. We did good, my pet. I was something more than a pet. Look here. We got plenty of parts. The scientist's rotten teeth smiling as he rummaged through the bag. Good stuff here. Plenty of material. Yes. Don't look at me like that. I didn't kill them. They gave up their parts for money. You know that, the scientist said, as the creature pulled itself out of the shadows with its orange tentacles, three eyes of different color and shape looking over the scientist's take. I don't know if you were lying to me or not. The Cheshire came down from its perch, grabbed a pen beside the notepad and wrote, scribbling words, wrapping the tip of its hairy orange and black striped tentacle around a pen, pushing it, drawing letters. No, I'm not lying to you. What would make you think that? The scientist answering the Cheshire who scribbled out a word the best it could. The blood? The creature's eyes spinning in different directions its jaws opened and closed, as if unable to be controlled. The wizard looked down at his shirt, noticing the large red blotch over his stomach. Oh, this, 
a slight accident. It was nothing, you know. I do not know where you go at night. I know you bring the bag home with small parts, a finger, a toe, an ear. They give pieces of themselves willingly, you say. The Cheshire purred and chirped, twisting around on itself and making its way back to the perch in front of the television. The scientist reeked again of alcohol, smoke, and sex. His gaps of missing teeth, his skin gray and greasy, sweating from the pills and injections. The machinery hummed, revving up to print out body parts, breaking down the biomass to be used in the vats of gelatinous material, drained into containers and stored in large walk-in refrigerators. The Cheshire had been looking out the window, trying to get an itch that always plagued it in the same spot, right below a small limb that resembled a fleshy orange arm with a fully formed hand, and fingers that stuck out of the Cheshire's plump, hairy orange side. The scientists sought relief in the bars of the waterfront. The late-night jaunts would always be of interest to the Cheshire, who remained out of sight, hiding high up in metal rafters or on its perch in front of the television. It would come down from its perch, one tentacle after another crawling to the unconscious body of the scientist on the concrete floor, hearing his breaths, reaching out with one of its orange limbs, pushing back the black hair from his forehead, gently touching the scientist's skin, feeling the electrical pulses, feeling for his thoughts, watching him dream. Poor wizard, why do you hate yourself? What curses you? You thought up my horrid shape. What other demons and monsters have you created? Will death be your only savior? What does that make me? A monster? A fiend? The wizard would open his eyes as the Cheshire smiled at him with one of its crooked mouths at the top of its head, while its long forked tongue from its other mouth reached out and licked the sweaty, pallid face. The scientist looked into the one human eye and imagined that he saw compassion. My pet. I am more than that. I love you. The scientist had approached those that had been abandoned, forsaken, the excess humanity that had been left out on the docks. He had bent down, smelling the unwashed bodies. He just needed a bit, not the whole. The exchange would be enough money to give those with nothing the ability to get out of the city, maybe deliver them to a family still waiting for them to return from the dead, or get them shelter for a few months in a hotel, a meal, and warmth. It would buy them a good time, a good suicide in the form of a hot fix. In the fog and dim light of the waterfront, among the warehouses and boarded-up windows and doors, forgotten masses that had been pushed from downtown sidewalks until finding refuge next to the sea. The detective heard reports from the church volunteers who manned the food lines, or the visiting priests that proselytized in the ghetto where excess humanity had been pushed to the edge of the world. The homeless had a common sign, a loss of a small piece of their body, hardly noticeable. Sometimes it was the removal of a small toe if the donor wanted to keep their fingers, or if the donor did not want to give up either a toe or finger, they could give up an ear instead. The cut had always been clean, healing without infection. The church volunteers reported the suspicious activity to the prefect, suspecting a man in a trench coat, a cap pulled down over his eyes, seen on occasion wandering around the soup lines. The detective was directed to check the reports to find out if illegal life was being created as suspected by the prefect and Curia Romana. As the tropical storm approached land, the silver-haired detective had found a fresh cut on the hand of an unconscious man. Recovering from a finger amputation under a canopy in the rain, the cut had looked fresh, just sewed and bandaged, 
the culprit who conducted the amputation may have very well been in the area. She began to search the dark alleys. The detective would turn a corner. Through the drizzle, the smell of urine mixed in corners with runoff from the gutters, flowing in streams across the dock. At the end of the alley, a figure in a trench coat was turning at the edge of the wall, disappearing in a maze of waterfront buildings. The church was already evacuating the wharf of excess humanity, moving the homeless to the safety of inland. Yet not all of them would be removed. Bodies spent of life, forgotten or forsaken, left to face the vortex and be sacrificed to the leviathan rising out of the waves. The scientist made his way through the maze of stench, trash, and decay back to the warehouse. The storm turned into a hurricane and was almost upon them. The scientist would not leave the Cheshire and the warehouse behind. He had removed all the supply of biomatter to his dealer's quarters, clearing out the walk-in cooler. Taking the vial from his pocket, he drank the distillation. The warehouse with the Cheshire was not far. The potion helped him observe those beings existing on the fringe of dimension along the fire escapes and in the doorways, where the homeless existed in the metal and brick confines of the wharf, except they were all gone, taken away by the church volunteers and National Guard. The warmth came from the potion consumed, first growing in the pit of his stomach, flowering out to the rest of his body. The distillation was taking its effect, the potency enhanced by the poisons drawn out of the plants grown in the warehouse, dripping through the coils of the alcohol still into the vial that the scientist drank. The scientist had known that in the lair of the warehouse was the creature he had grown in a black amniosac. He did not account for it to read and think as well as it had. An animal, a monster, an illegal life form that should have been destroyed, however. Nature itself had produced creatures unimaginable, in dimensions unreachable by common humans. He was unsure whether or not he would be able to destroy his creation as he became attached to his experiment. He would have to move it from the warehouse, but thought perhaps they could survive the storm in the only place they called home. The Cheshire had gone to the clear stories. It could hear the faint voices, even as the winds and rains beat at the only world it had seen outside the warehouse windows. The scientist was seeing the different colors of raindrops. He sees, the Cheshire thought, the formula that the scientist drank helped him track what it was that existed beyond perceivable space, greater than what he could imagine. The Cheshire heard them in the rain, in the dim streetlight and haze. The detective found him. You are guilty, doctor, the detective said. Doctor, I don't know what you are talking about. The scientist tried to see clearly the person that pointed the pistol at him. You are guilty. The prefect knows who you are. The scientist looked through the rain as it pelted him from all sides. Ah, you are one of those. The rain gathered on his collar and dripped off the bill of his cap. The scientist could make out the silver hair of the detective, the colors bouncing off her shoulders, unsure if the silver hair was real. A believer? Yes, I am one of those, the detective said. Then I guess this is it, he called out in the storm. This is it, doctor? You live here? The detective pointed the muzzle of her gun towards the warehouse. The rain bounced off the metal of the barrel. I don't live anywhere. I don't have anything. See? He turned the small bag that he carried in his hand over and shook it. It was empty. The detective continued to point her pistol at his head. Yes, doctor, you do. You live here. And you are guilty. All the proof we need is in there. He could barely hear her in the rain anymore. 
Instead, the waves were yelling at him to run. What? Unholy bio? His voice called out of the storm, the dock tilting, the colors swirling with waves churning over and beneath. It goes against the prefect and the law, against nature. The law? Nature? He felt as if he could barely stand upright. The formula had taken full effect. He was ready to leap into the void. Fuck your law, he laughed out loud. The Leviathan laughed with him. The Curia Romana sought out the heretics of the natural order. The Cheshire heard the gunshot. The creature frantically climbed to sea, its tentacles spreading out against the glass as the storm hid the fallen scientist from sight. They would be taken back to the void. We'll all go back. The detectives left the warehouse, hurrying to their vehicle. Whatever regret or uncertainty the silver-headed detective had would remain with her, as they would try to make it to the interstate before the hurricane destroyed the waterfront. The vortex of the storm had formed over the front of the warehouse, the gray-green clouds swirling, a door to the phantom zone opening, taking the pieces bought off the transients who huddled among their tents in the alleys. Part of the wizard's ceremony, the Cheshire thought. I will give you a thousand dollars for a small piece of your body, is what he told them. What will happen to me? The Cheshire remembered the potion in a vial, still on its pedestal beneath the copper lines that dripped with the poison the scientist drank. The Cheshire slid down to the floor, its orange tentacles carrying it to the still forged by the scientist to process the plants he had grown under the pink grow lights, rooted in the nutrient-rich medium of the leviathan's skin and bone. I cannot avenge you, my friend. I am not human enough to seek revenge. I have no voice or hands, nor can I weep. I am a monster. The Cheshire hurried to get to the other side of the warehouse before consumed by the sea. The hurricane broke through the front of the warehouse. It reached for the vial with its orange tentacles, taking it from the pedestal that held it. The Cheshire's long, snake-like tongue reached over the lip of the glass and lapped up its contents. Feeling the warmth, the Cheshire's senses receiving from other dimensions, the bit of human mind that it carried in its small round body being altered, and before long the sea was revealed in waves of color and shapes of sound. The Cheshire could hear the squealing of what had been growing in the amniosacs, the chirping newborns. The roof started to peel away as the vortex was upon them, tearing apart the wharf and the pieces of buildings flying into space, the amniosacs splitting open and all the creatures fanned out across the gray concrete floor. Mismatched beasts fused together in monstrous forms. The Leviathan has to come and gather them all up in its mouth and swallow. They would be taken back to the Phantom Zone. It thought of the detectives as the wharf fell apart. We'll all go back now. Rudolfo Serna has a penchant for 70s horror B-movies, psychedelic doom metal, permaculture, and nature worship. A native of northern New Mexico, he's also a husband and a father, educator and coordinator with the MFA in Creative Writing Program at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. His forthcoming novel, Snow Over Utopia, is due out with Reliquary Press. He is the digital steward of the Mutant Root Continuum at mutantroot.com. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or visit us at our webpage, brickmoonfiction.com.